Okay, so we're glad everyone is here, and uh, it's good to see you guys. I love having the Christmas trees behind us. I, I love Christmas. Uh, I want to mention one thing that was talked about uh, that, I, that I mentioned last week, and Bill Smith came up to me afterwards, and I do not see Bill this morning and Robin, uh, but he came up to me afterwards and said, uh, I spoke about John 14, verse 2 and 3, where Jesus said, he's, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I'll come again and receive you to myself. And uh, he said, you know, Jesus, he, he, he prepared that place for us at the cross and the resurrection. That's where the deal was sealed by the payment for our sins and the resurrection from the grave to prove that he is the Messiah. And so he has prepared a place for us in that event. So I understand that point, and uh, it's a good point. So that's additional for you in case uh, you hadn't thought about it that way. Uh, okay, so Bill, I hope Clark will come back someday. Okay. I just wonder how many are here. Five, nine, 14, 18, 19. How many? We had 60 chairs last week and we filled them up. And I don't know if uh, the lesson was so bad that some just decided not to come back. That's always a possibility. Or if people thought this is a great time to have to take a holiday trip. Uh, so Don is keeping a count. He's going to give me an accurate count when this is over. Don't forget, Don, to count yourself. So last week, this is our second week in the Gospel of John, and we will not have any more prologue here. Last week in John 1, the first five or six verses, in the beginning the Word was with God, the Word was God, and all things were made by Him. Jesus, and the Word became flesh in verse 14. Uh, Jesus is presented to us by John as God and the Creator. And uh, in uh, Psalm 33, verse 6 and verse 9, the psalmist said, by his word, the heavens were created, and when he spoke, it, it happened. Uh, that, that really is the only answer for, for our being here, and, and here's why I say that. Uh, we talked, and I'm going to spend about two minutes on this, but we mentioned last week about uh, why do scientists uh, talk about the Big Bang? The reason they talk about the Big Bang is because the cosmos is moving apart. We can track it, it's moving apart, and actually increasing as it gets further apart. It's increasing in speed, that's what I mean, because there's less gravity out there, there's less to hold everything together so it can increase in speed as it's moving apart. When you, uh, so when we take a rock and we walk up to the bank of a pond and we pitch the rock in, or let's, don't, let's just say this, let's say we walk up to the edge of a pond and, we, and you see ripples coming out. Uh, you know one of three or four things happened. A fish came up for air, a turtle came up and popped, popped the surface, an acorn fell off of a tree, 
or someone threw a rock, you know there was a cause for those ripples to be moving apart. And if you measured the distance they're apart and or the speed at which they're moving apart, you can extrapolate backwards as to when that event happened. You see the ripples moving apart, you know something happened and caused that to start. And so that's why uh, the idea of the universe is not eternal. It started. It's moving apart. And so you uh, scientists go back, they look, at, they look at the speed, they look at distances, and they say, well, there was an event by man's calculation uh, 14 billion years ago. Something happened that started this. Well, the Scripture tells us it was spoken and it started. Uh, we know matter's not eternal for several reasons. One's the second law of thermodynamics. Uh, it's called heat death or the law of entropy. As everything physical gets older, it wears down. I am a perfect example. And there's one or two of you who are. And our vehicles are examples of that. This auditorium, these chairs, everything physical wears down and becomes disorganized. It wears out. The stars obey that same law. They're burning their own energy. Hundreds of millions of tons of star mass are consumed every second. And at some point, the stars will get to a critical mass where they will explode, a nova, reconsolidate, and it'll be less than it was when it started. Entropy, it wears out. The universe is not eternal. You have to have a non-physical first cause, non-physical first cause to explain all of this we see. It's the only answer. There is no physical first cause that explains, by the laws of physics, the existence of matter. Enough of that. So let's read. We're in John chapter 1, and uh, we're at verse 6. Let's start at verse 6. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, not of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but by the will of God. Um, A few comments about that. Um, Where do we want to start? You know what I started in verse 9. I said verse 6. Let me jump back up to verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, he came as a witness to bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness of the light. So so John was sent by God into the world to prepare the way to be a witness to the light that was coming into the world, that that being Jesus. Um, Malachi, in in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, talks about John's message. He said, there will be a messenger sent from God and he will come to prepare the way of the Lord. It's the very similar language that John uses here, spoken 450 years before John wrote this. 
but they're saying the same thing. Um, so Jesus, the appearance of John is the fulfillment of, of what Malachi was talking about. He was sent to be a messenger to prepare the way of the Lord to those that would hear and to be a witness uh, of who that Messiah would be. And also in Malachi, it talks about there's a new covenant coming. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But a new covenant was coming into the world. Uh, scripture says in Luke, when you read about Jesus and John that, that Eddie's preaching on right now, how that John was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. And scripture tells us when Elizabeth heard Mary's voice, when Mary, after Mary got the news that she was going to have a son, and the angel Gabriel told her, and by the way, your cousin, aunt, who, who, who was Elizabeth to Mary? Cousin. She's pregnant. She's like 80, 90 years old. She's pregnant. She's past childbearing, but she's going to have a son too. And you know, the scripture tells us when Mary, after Gabriel left her, the next verse there in Luke says, Mary straight away went to visit Elizabeth. I don't know if she was excited that Elizabeth was pregnant at her advanced age or if Mary was saying, he's just told me I'm going to have a baby and he's also told me that my cousin Elizabeth is pregnant. I'm going to go see about that. I don't know, maybe a little of both. But she takes off to go see Elizabeth. Scripture says when she greeted Elizabeth, the baby John leaped in her womb. Uh, he, he jumped, he reacted to Mary's voice. And uh, so some neat things going on there. Uh, sir, Mark. Yeah, and I was trying to say that, just not as well as you said it. But that's, a, that's what I think may have been going on. Let me double check this. and Maybe just to congratulate Elizabeth, maybe there was no waiver whatsoever. Pam. Okay, Mark said what I tried to say. <laughs> that maybe Mary was going to check it out. If Elizabeth is pregnant, then maybe I really am going to have a baby. Anyway, she went, she stayed three months, pretty good visit. Uh, can't offhand think of any cousins I want to stay with me for three months. Ginger. Yeah, she may have, yeah, she may have been gone there to, just to say, okay, if I'm going to have a baby, maybe I should get out of town for a while. Uh, so whatever. Verse 9, the true light was coming into the world. That's in contrast to all the false light that's in the world. The, uh, look, our world is full of glitter. I mean, we're, we're pursuing all kinds of distractions, all kinds of false lights. And the thing about the false lights, because they are false, they dim, they dim, and they go out. There, there are no political solutions to, to our problems. There are no political solutions. Uh, money's not going to solve that. Money can help if it's used properly, but it's not going to solve our predicament. And just look at our country. Look at 
this enlightened age that we're in and look at all the mess that's going on and the racial tension and there's always been racial tension in the world's history from the beginning of time and sadly that continues and we're smarter we think but no we're not acting any different any better than 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 has ever been acted the the, the false lights of the world do not last so John makes a contrast here and he says the true light was coming uh, Verse 10, he made the world and the world didn't know him. Well, why didn't the world know him? Well, there's this thing called free will. And we get to choose what we want to think about and what we want to do and what we want to pursue. Free will. We're not robots. The thing is, in our free will, we tend to be drawn to selfish directions. We sort of want to do what we want to do. What appeals to me? You know, when Mary had the problem in the garden and then and, and, uh, Adam, Mary. <laughs> Come on, folks. You got to wait. You got to, you, let's, let's go here. Let's get on the ball. DJ, you should have corrected me right away. You're being nice. When Eve was tempted in the garden and Adam with her, Scripture says that she saw the forbidden fruit, that it looked good, the appeal of the eyes, that it was good to eat, the appeal of the flesh, and that it would make her like God, pride, ego. The same things John talks about in another book that he wrote, Lust of the fresh, Flesh, Pride of Life, Lust of the Eye. And so free will is existing in our world, and we, are, we have to struggle with that all the time at some level. We struggle with it all the time at some level. So Jesus, the true word, came into the world, but the world didn't receive him. The world didn't, didn't respond. John will say in, ch- in chapter 3 that people didn't come to him because they loved the darkness more than light. That's the power of spiritual temptation. The enemy pulls at the things that interest us, and we are pulled away by our own, our own temptation. We give in to it over and over. And we end up in a place thinking wrong. Wrongly would be the English, I think. Thinking wrongly. Right, Katie? Thinking wrongly. Romans chapter 1 says, when people don't acknowledge God and give thanks to Him as God, their thinking will become futile and darkened. And they'll begin to believe a lie. And if they resist and resist and resist and resist long enough that God will finally let go. Let them go. This thing that we're in called life, folks, let's be clear. This is a life and death struggle for eternity, for our eternal Salvation. It is a life and death struggle. If you or I do not understand that, and again, like the tornadoes that just occurred, we're in transition, all of us. We're here day by day. There couldn't be a bigger game going on than what we're in. And it's not a game. 
We're just a car, a car wreck away at an intersection, a blood clot, a hemorrhage, a storm. Now look, two things here. Should we be, why am I stressing this? I'm stressing it to say, let's be sure we're awake about what's going on and about our temporariness. We're temporary. This week, a former NFL player, 33, was found dead in his home. It's, it's all temporary. Now, the good news is we have assurance of eternal life in Jesus. That's the good news. If we follow Jesus, he says, I'm preparing a place for you, and I have life for you. And John will talk about Jesus as the bread of life and the light of life over and over and over. And we can have peace and security in that. But if we're distracted by these false lights in the world, that is a... Uh, so, look, don't take, quote, unquote, don't take church casual. There's nothing casual about church. The church is full of imperfect people, and they're doing their... their yes, it is. No perfect churches. There's a perfect Savior. But the scripture says, I want you to be together to learn, to encourage each other, to stay the course. One reason we, the Hebrew writer says, he says, don't skip being together, but encourage each other more and more as the day draws near. And you can tell by looking at me, the day is a lot nearer than it used to be. We come to encourage each other to keep the faith, to stay in it, to stay in the walk, to help each other. We get, we get discouraged. We're here to encourage each other. So, verse 12 and 13, uh, really, uh, these are very, this is an impactful verse right here that you could quickly read over and maybe just kind of miss the significance of it. But verse 12 and 13 uh, well, uh, 11, he came to his own, his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of the blood or will of the flesh or will of man, but of God. Look, this, this is a bombshell statement because the Jews had taken pride in being Abraham's children, God's chosen people children of Abraham, born of the flesh. They were better than everybody else. And, and, and you could tell, it. They, they wouldn't even talk to the Samaritans. There you go again, racial prejudice. They took a lot of pride in being Abraham's children. And John says here, right at the beginning of his book, no, Jesus gave the right to everyone to become children of God. Everyone, anyone. You don't have to be born of the flesh as a Jew. You're born anew by the will of God. It's a spiritual rebirth. And John makes that point. Let's, let's look, look, look with me in Romans chapter two. Uh, I'm gonna look at two or three passages real quick. Real quickly, I should say. Um, okay. Romans 2, 
Paul makes this point at the end of chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the law. His praise is not from man, but from God. Paul says, being a Jew doesn't count for anything anymore in being pleasing to God. It's not the outward. It's not the flesh. A lot of people still put a lot of stock in the Jewish nation, and that's all well and good. They were God's people, and they brought Jesus into the world. He was a Jew. But Paul is saying, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that God is not about physical marks, but about spiritual identity. Turn over with me to Galatians chapter 3. He's con- same writer, Paul. He's continuing this thought. In chapter 3, he says, mm, let's start in verse 7. Know then that it is not those of the that it is those of the faith who are sons of Abraham. Faith, not physical. Who are the children of Abraham? He said it's children of faith, not physical. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's us, everybody that's not a Jew, by faith, preached the gospel before to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations of the world be blessed. All the nations of the world, not just the Jewish nation. Now drop, drop over toward the end of the chapter. Let's read one more passage in Galatians 3, starting in verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. In Christ Jesus, children of God, through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now now notice something here in in the same breath. He says, you're children of God by faith, through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, put on Christ. He couples, he links obedience, baptism, he links it to faith. Baptism is not a work of man. It's not something I do. In my baptism, it's where I trust God to make me new. I trust God to forgive my sins. I trust Jesus' payment for my sins. Baptism has nothing to do with a work of man. It is a work of God. So by faith, you are children of God by baptism. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now watch what else he says. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male or female. You are one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. Abraham's children, children by faith in Jesus. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's go on. 14. For, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John says, we've seen the glory of Jesus. He says, I'm I'm an eyewitness. I've seen the glory of Jesus. I've seen the miracles. I've seen him raised from the dead. I touched him after after he was buried. And I saw his ascension. Taken up. I've seen his glory. Glory of the only son of God. 
so John was a first-hand witness, as were not only the disciples, but up to 500, it says, at one time. I just want to read to you in another picture of the glory of Jesus. This is in Revelation chapter 19. This is another picture of the glory of Jesus, Revelation 19, and I'm starting in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. Now this is a picture. The one sitting on the horse is called Faithful and True. In righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns, diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God, as John called him in his gospel, the Word. This is a picture of Jesus. It's more fantastic than anything we can imagine. And not only is he the humble servant who, who, who emptied himself of his position and came to earth and died humiliated, naked on a cross, willing to do that for us, and who was raised and ascended. But another picture of him right here he is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the one who rules everything. And this is another picture of his glory. 14, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, his name is written, King of kings, Lord of lords. There's a picture of Jesus for you. So the word became flesh. Why? I want to look at one passage as to why he became flesh. There are many we could look at, but this one sums up pretty good for the most part. Hebrews chapter 2, if you'd like to turning your phones to Hebrews 2. That's so weird. That is so weird. <laughs> I make statements like that from time to time, and Pam says, Gary, you're showing your age. You're that generation. Yep, I am. Hebrews 2.14. Since therefore the children share, that's us, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same. Since we were flesh and blood, he became flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He doesn't help the angels. He helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest. So Jesus came and through his death and his resurrection, he destroyed the power of the one who had 
the one who has the power of death. The devil destroyed his power, destroyed it. His time is limited. And freed us who live in slavery, mankind who lives in slavery to the fear of death. Everybody's afraid to die, more or less, as humans. This thing about COVID going on right now, why do we get the vaccines? Why do we wear the mask? We don't want to get sick. We don't want to die. And on and on and on. Why do we not go in certain, certain places at certain times? We don't, want to, we don't want to be looted or attacked. Why do we not take triple doses of heroin and cocaine laced with garlic? Why do we go to the hospital when we don't feel good? Try and stay alive. And look, we're built to live. God built us to live eternally. Just not here. Just not here in a much better place where he is, in his company. But Jesus came to release us from the fear of the slavery of the fear of death, that, what, that we can know that when the time comes and when we die, when we pass, that I have a place to go. I have a place to be. I have a place waiting. That this was never meant to be. This is full of strife and trouble and aches and pains and illness and crime and hatred, this is not our eternal home. We have a place to be that has been prepared for us, and he's releasing us from the fear of death that we can look forward with assurance. God wants, Jesus came, I came to give life so that you might have life and have it abundantly. He wants us to be confident in him so that we can be confident in our future. Okay. All right, another, another passage that uh, in this section, I'm looking at verse 17. Look at what he says, chapter 1, verse 17. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the law was given, the law, the Ten Commandments, came through Moses, given by God. Don't kill don't have any gods before me, the first four commandments. And then into social issues about how you live, how you and I live, telling us how we should be. When Jesus came, he said, I'm going to upgrade that, not based on the act, but based on how you think, which will control how you act. So Jesus improved it. He said, the law says don't murder. I'm telling you, don't hate. So Jesus gave us a new way to think. And if we would think the new way, we would then behave the new way and not, uh, be sudden, not break the laws that Moses gave. We, we need to think better. But uh, now look, here's something. That, that, so the law from God through Moses uh, there was a lot of grace in the law. God showed a lot of grace. Uh, let me back that up. Strike that from the record. God was full of grace throughout the Old Testament. 
He showed grace to Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, just go through the list. Lot, look at the grace that Lot received. Uh, just all th- to the children of Israel, freedom from uh, slavery in Egypt over and over and over again through the judges, forgiven, given a new start, a new chance. A lot of grace in the Old Testament, but the scripture says that the, while the law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus. There was a better level And we were looking at Galatians. Let's go right back to Galatians. Um, It talks about this. Back to chapter 3. Okay, so in uh, Galatians 3, verse 10, those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who does not abide in all things written, all. The law had no grace provision for forgiveness. There was no grace provision for forgiveness under the law. You had to live perfectly to be justified under the law. And nobody could do that. Verse 11, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. The righteous shall live by faith, and the law is not of faith. The one who follows the law must live by the law. No one can keep it perfectly. There's no salvation by the works of the law. So what about the people who were faithful under the law to God, who couldn't keep the law? So they were cursed by the law, but like, Moses and everyone else, Aaron and whoever else that were faithful under the law. So, so here's the cross in time. It's right here, let's say. God had faithful people before the cross. He has faithful people after the cross. These people in the Old Testament were saved by their faith and that was paid for at the cross. They were not saved by works under the law. We just read it. Couldn't do it. Couldn't keep it. They were saved by faith, just like we are saved by faith. After the cross, everyone is saved by obedience to God. That's faith. Their faithfulness, not their perfection, but their faithfulness. Um, Let's see. What did the law do? The scripture says it was a schoolmaster Look at verse 24, same chapter, Galatians 3. Let me start in 23. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So the law was a schoolmaster until Jesus came in order that we might be justified by faith. What did we learn under the law? What what did people learn as the schoolmaster taught us? We learned that sin causes death. The Jews for centuries were killing bulls and lambs and everything imaginable, cutting its throat and offering it on a sacrifice to God. They knew that their sin had to be paid for by an innocent death. They were trained by centuries that sin causes death. And so there there was a bloodbath like you can't believe. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of animals, innocent animals, being slaughtered as sacrifices to pay for the sin of the people. 
They were being taught sin causes death. What else were they being taught? They were being taught that nobody can be saved. Nobody can live perfectly and be forgiven. That's why they kept offering the sacrifices. Everybody needs God's grace. So they were being taught that, that, that great, and so we learned the same thing. Jesus is now the Passover lamb for us. The innocent for the guilty. Exodus talks about, look at, uh, let's go back to John. Uh, drop down to verse 29. John's out there preaching. And he sees Jesus walking up, and he turns around. Here comes Jesus, and the people gather around him, and he said, look, there comes the Lamb of God. Now, now that's a shocking statement. What, what are you talking about? We, we, they knew, the Jews knew what lambs were for. The lambs were for killing. They were for sacrifice. And their blood would be poured out to pay for the sins that I did. They knew what lambs were all about. They were the sacrificial offering to God. So when John says, here comes the Lamb of God, and they see a human, it's a shocking thing that they're seeing. Whoa. Now there's something else about that. Uh, let me see. I want you to notice uh, where did I put that. Yeah, Deuteronomy 17, verse 1, if you want to read it. But in Deuteronomy 17, verse 1, talking about animal sacrifice, the writer, Moses, who wrote, says, the sacrifice must be without blemish. The sacrifice must be without blemish. For a sacrifice to have a blemish, he says, is an abomination before God. God doesn't want any, no sacrifice will be acceptable if it has a blemish. So when John says, here comes the Lamb of God, they know two things when they look and see Jesus. They know, number one, he's saying he's going to be slain. He's going to be offered as a sacrifice. His blood is going to be poured out. And they knew something else about him. He had no blemish. And that could not be said about anybody. No blemish. Only the Son of God who lived perfectly had no blemish because we all have blemishes. And so the sacrifice had to be perfect, had to be one without sin. Jesus, Jeff. God will provide. Uh, Jeff saying when uh, Abraham sacrificed Isaac and uh, they get up there and the altars, he says, oh. he says, well, what's going to happen here? And where's the sacrifice? And he is told God will provide. And he did. So he provided a ram for Abraham, but a foretelling of God providing a lamb for us, a sacrifice for us who was without blemish. You, you can't offer a blemished animal a blemished person as a sacrifice for other blemished persons. That doesn't work. Got to be perfect. And so this is a foretelling that Jesus was going to live a perfect life. Um, okay. Let's see. We got about six or seven minutes. Is it over at 10 tail, Scott? When, when is it over? Who knows? 10 tail? We got four minutes. We've got a lot of time. 
<laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, okay, let's look at verse 19 and 20. Uh, so, so John's out there. The Jews come up, the Jewish leaders, and they're wanting to f- figure out who is, who it, this is John the Baptist, not John the Apostle who's writing this. This is John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. And they ask in verse 21, so they ask, uh, who are you? Are you Elijah? He says, nope. They say, are you the prophet? He says, nope. He says, so who are you? So when they say, are you the prophet, that goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, where he says, there will be a prophet. Moses says, there will, there will be a prophet like me, like Moses, who will come. Moses was a lawgiver in the Old Testament. He was the, the giver, seen as the giver of the Ten Commandments to the people. He says, there will be a prophet like me who will come into the world, a lawgiver, the law of grace, the law of faith. So Jesus is predicted to, uh, back in Deuteronomy, a prophet like Moses, a lawgiver. And so they ask him, John, are, are you the prophet? He says, no, I'm not the one. He says, I'm not even worthy to, un, to tie his shoes. Now that was before shoestrings. Or was it? I'm not sure. Who's old enough to remember that? Let's see. Uh, so he says, I'm not worthy to lace the sandals. And so he says, I'm not the prophet. I'm, and he goes on and says, I'm the forerunner to prepare the way for the prophet, for the Lord. I'm the one. He quotes Isaiah and says, I'm the voice crying in the wilderness. Make you straight the way for the Lord. That's who John was, John the baptizer, the Baptist. And then uh, one more thing and we'll stop. Wow. Wow. (laughs) If I try to think about it long enough, I'll just think myself right out of time. Um, Let's say, let's say this. So the Jews were focused on the Messiah, the Christ, who would lead them back into greatness. Isaiah said, there will be one that will come who will be called Mighty Lord, Wonderful Counselor, and so on and so forth. And Daniel has said, there will be one that comes in the days of the Roman kingdom, is when it was, whose throne will be established forever. The Jews were looking for a Messiah to establish David's throne forever a new kingdom, a new Jewish political state that would never fall. They were at this time under the control of the Roman government. They, they had been before that under slavery to the Babylonians. They were wanting release from this physical control. And they were looking for the Messiah. But when John says, here comes the Lamb of God, that presented a terrible conflict in the Jewish mind that Jesus could be the Lamb of God and be the Messiah at the same time because the Messiah was supposed to be one whose throne would never end. And John says Jesus is going to be sacrificed for sin. How is he going to have a forever throne if he's killed? That's their dilemma. The problem was they were thinking earthly kingdom, physical kingdom. And Jesus tells them later, my kingdom is not of this world You won't see it like you see an earthly power. 
It's a spiritual kingdom. That kept throwing the Jews off over and over because they kept thinking physical instead of spiritual. God bless. We're out of time. Come back next week. Bring a friend. Bring your house church. Bring your neighbor. Bring yourself. Have a good week, guys. Thanks. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.